coming up on the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. When I got into bodybuilding and I actually kind of, like I said, incorporated, started incorporating more of like a metabolic flexibility side of things, more of a balance in my, you know, overall nutrition and training is really where I started to see my body composition change mm -hmm. in the way that I wanted it to. Um, and a lot of that came from actually following like a structured training plan and actually being intentional about my training, um, implementing progressive overload. I actually started working with my own coach and I still have my own coach to, to kind of help me through these things. I think that's super important if you are kind of looking to take, you know, your training and your body composition to, you know, the next level. And you've been trying all these things, nothing's been working. Um, asking for help is there's no, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and I continue, will we'll continue to have my own coach for as long as I, probably forever, just because there's so much value and having someone else kind of looking in and saying, Hey, you know, maybe we should try this, or maybe we can do this a little bit differently um, and right. allowing you to kind of get out of your own head. Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was 5, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week, I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week, I interviewed board-certified nutritionist, strength and conditioning specialist, podcaster, and founder of MetFlex Life, Rachel Gregory. She's also the author of the international best-selling book, 21-Day Ketogenic Diet Weight Loss Challenge. We discussed how to become fat-adapted, fasting pros and cons, the importance of building strength, why make protein a priority, do you need to have a high-fat diet, women in fasting, and her one tip to get your body back to what it once was. This was a great interview with Rachel with tons of tips that you could apply right to your life. I know you'll enjoy this. I did too. Have a great day and enjoy the interview. Thanks so much. All right, Rachel Gregory, welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. I think we have a lot in common and some great tips that we're gonna share for everybody. Uh, before we get into that, um, why don't you maybe give the listeners a little bit of background, how you got into nutrition and coaching? I know you're an author as well. How did that all come about? Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, I try to keep this as short as possible. Mm -hmm. I tend to ramble on a little bit, so feel free to cut me off. But sure. um, I grew up in Manhattan, New York. Um, I grew up in a very uh, kind of sports dominant household. I played sports my whole life. Um, my dad played football in college and he had two daughters. So I was the daughter who was <laughs> kind of like the son as well in terms of like the sports side of things. Um, and I, uh, went on to get my undergrad degree in athletic training at the university of Miami. Um, I knew that I wanted to focus in on sports medicine and athletic training, um, as my career, I thought that I wanted to be an athletic trainer as my, you know, full-time career. Um, so that's what I went to school for. And I soon realized as I was kind of halfway through my journey in athletic training about sophomore year, um, I started to take uh, some more nutrition classes and I started to get really interested in the nutrition side of things. Um, and at that time I was also doing triathlons for, uh, the university of Miami, club team. Um, so I started to kind of get into that whole endurance nutrition side of things, uh, realized quickly that I didn't think that I wanted to continue on with athletic training forever. Um, so I decided to look into getting my master's degree in nutrition and exercise physiology. Um, so I went on to get that at James Madison university and I was working as an athletic trainer as well. Um, and that is where I actually transitioned from triathlons to CrossFit. I got into grad school. Um, I needed something that was just like a quick workout, something that was fun, competitive. Um, I knew I didn't have time to do triathlons anymore. I wanted to try something else out. Uh, so I got into CrossFit training and, um, that is also when I kind of came across the ketogenic diet. Uh, so for my master's thesis, so I went, I did a two year, um, program at James Madison university, and we had to do a, a master's thesis study. And a lot of my classmates were doing more survey-based studies. And I knew that I wasn't going to be, uh, super interested in that, in that for two years. Uh, right. so I, I talked to my advisor and he, um, he basically said, you know, find something that you can be interested in for the next two years, because you're going to be spending a lot of your time uh, in that area. And he, and I basically said, I wanted to do an, an interventional study, a diet intervention in a exercise population. And at that point I was just getting into CrossFit. So I 
figured that would be a, a great exercise population to, um, to use. And I was getting into the ketogenic diet, um, as it was just coming, becoming popular at that time. It was like back in 20, uh, this was in 2014, 2014, 2015. Um, and so I ended up doing the first human clinical trial looking at the ketogenic diet in a non elite, in non elite CrossFit athletes. Um, that study was very successful. Um, lots of, uh, cool stuff came out of that, which we can dive into if you want. Um, and then after I graduated, I kind of just continued on in the low carb keto space. This is when it really started to get popular, um, kind of in the mainstream. And I adopted a lower carb lifestyle for myself. Um, and I started working with clients who were interested in that. And throughout that period of time and throughout the years, I just kind of went down a lot of different rabbit holes and I started to find that for myself, I was um, going way, way on the ends of like mm. low carb keto, um, and a little bit too, ex too extreme. Um, and I started to find clients were doing that as well. And they were starting to get, uh, they had positive results in the beginning, and then they were starting to get some negative, negative results and just not able to sustain it. And so I started experimenting with myself with, um, incorporating more carbs, um, a little bit less fasting and kind of using different tools and strategies to fit with what I was doing. Um, and then started implementing that with my clients. And that's where I kind of developed this metabolic flexibility, uh, side of things where we're really just looking to kind of be able to utilize both fuel sources appropriately and efficiently for the, the activity that we are doing for our lifestyle, all of that. And that kind of brings me to, oh, I ended up writing a book, um, <laughs> and starting a podcast. And now I'm here today talking to you. <laughs> all right. Well, your whole life in about <laughs> two minutes there, that was good. I think that was the fastest that I've ever gone with that. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Um, well, thanks for that. And so you know, you talk about keto and CrossFit. Are you currently continuing? Do you do CrossFit still, or is that something you've changed? Yeah. So I, um, I stopped doing CrossFit. I believe it's been about two and a half years. So I actually, and, or maybe closer to three years, I actually ended up getting, uh, injured. And this was kind of part of my journey. We all kind of go through periods and we kind of make mistakes and, and do things and realize, oh man, I could, I could have probably avoided that. And so I actually got injured, um, at a point in my life where I was really kind of stressed out in all areas of my life. And I was still, I was using CrossFit as my outlet. Um, and I wasn't paying attention to my recovery. I wasn't paying attention to fueling appropriately for what I was doing. And so I ended up, uh, hurting my back and it wasn't like a, it was more of a chronic type injury. Um, but I ended, ended up stopping CrossFit and, and, you know, taking some time off and then actually getting in more into bodybuilding style training. And that's nice. what I've been doing. Um, since then just kind of hypertrophy focused. Excellent. And, and you talked about, you know, for keto going maybe too far down the, down the, down the rabbit hole of keto and maybe perhaps going a little bit overboard and seeing signs of yourself and maybe of your clients were, what kind of signs were you seeing that you thought that perhaps maybe you should start introducing carbs back into your diet a little bit more or more? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I kind of look at it in, in both in a few different ways in terms of like the physiological signs and then also the psychological signs. Um, for me, it was more so like the psychological side of things. Um, and this is what I saw with a lot of my clients too, just really being afraid to eat carbs was the biggest thing. And like, I was afraid to eat watermelon or sweet potatoes, like whole food, nutrient dense carbs, because right. I was just so down that kind of rabbit hole for the few years of being strict keto, low carb. Um, and I did find benefits to being keto, low carb for a long time. Um, but I found that the, the, like it, it can be beneficial and it really just depends on the individual and where you're at and what your, um, what your overall lifestyle is like, especially what your stress is like. I think stress plays a huge role. Um, and then also activity level and all of that. So I started finding myself just, you know, from the psychological standpoint, being very carb phobic. Um, I started to feel as, as I started to incorporate carbs a little bit more into my lifestyle, um, I was having some blood sugar dysregulation. So my body was just so used to not having carbs carbs that it adapted to using obviously more fat for fuel, which can be a good thing. But if you go too far down that, that rabbit hole, um, it can kind of backfire on you. So I started to notice that, um, with myself and obviously, like I mentioned with a lot of the clients that I was working at, wor working with over the years, all of these kind of different things started to 
um, pop up. They, you know, blood sugar dysregulation, um, you know, eating carbs and just kind of what we see on, on kind of the side of people who, um, are metabolically inflexible where they've mm-hmm. been using carbs for a long time. And they, they made me have some insulin resistance and they, they can't utilize those carbs effectively anymore. We actually start to see that on the other side as well. When you're just, your body is not used to carbs at all anymore. Um, and so those are a few of the main things that I noticed, uh, performance, uh, it, it, at first it was just like kind of variable, but then as I started to incorporate more carbs and started to be more strategic about what was, what I was doing, um, it's my performance started to increase. I just started to feel better overall. My body composition started to actually get better. Um, and then I also took a break from like chronically fasting. I was also down that fasting rabbit hole a lot. Um, so that, the, the break from fasting, I think helped as well. And I think that really just has to do a lot with the stress component of things. Um, so right. just getting your stress to regulate and paying attention to that was a huge component for me. Yeah. I mean, you talk about fasting and I, obviously I'm a big faster myself, but you want to keep an eye on that because it is a stressor, um, just like working out and things like that. And, and when you talk about carbs, I, I think, you know, we throw a blanket term for carbs, but really you're talking about like whole foods and things like that. I mean, obviously eating refined carbs, I'm sure you didn't just start eating like, um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, you know, Twinkies and donuts, right? Yeah, definitely not. Um, definitely focus. I mean, just overall, when we're thinking about nutrition, you know, practically like the more whole foods your diet is, no matter what kind of camp you're in, the better off you're going to be with, you know, satiety, you know, have getting enough nutrients, you know, focusing on those whole foods, especially whole foods, carbs, bringing those back in, you know, regulation with uh, blood sugar, all of that. Um, but there was also another component of it where I was kind of on that psychological side of things. I was just like, you know, I thought that if I ate a, a piece of cake or a donut that I would just like blow up or like, like I was belt. just going to, yeah. So, yeah. So that was another side of things that I, that I worked on. And, and that's what I work on with my clients as well. Realizing that like, if we can keep about like 80 to 90% of our, you know, overall day, whole foods, you know, as close to nature as possible. I like to say either had a face at some point or grown or have grown from the earth at some point, if you can majority of your food can fall into those two categories, then you're probably doing pretty good. And then just bringing you back to reality. Like we know, you know, if you go to an event or you, um, have a birthday party or something like that, if you eat a piece of cake, it's not going to be the end of the world. Um, so it's just kind of balancing those things out. And I'm curious, let's say you have a new client and cause I run in this a little bit, you know, they're very carb dependent and, you know, you talk about having some flexibility as far as leeway. Oh, you know, if you go to a party, you can have this, but what about early on? Like, do you think it's important to maybe be a little bit stricter early on? Um, because what, what, you know, so they don't fall back into their old habits. And, mm-hmm. and so how would you go about, uh, dealing with someone like that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think this really just depends on, you know, the individual and where they're coming from. So, you know, depends on like, I I like to say what side of the spectrum they're on and like how they're kind of like, which one they're closer to. So if they, if I have a client who is coming, you know, from just consuming higher carbs their whole life, they never really played around with, you know, a ketogenic diet, or they never really played around with fasting before that. And they're having, you know, issues with, you know, if they're trying to change their body composition or lose body fat or whatever it may be, and they haven't been successful at that with what they're doing, then they're like, okay, so what you're, what you've been doing hasn't been working. So let's maybe, you know, try something else and and maybe try a keto approach or a lower carb approach, maybe implement some intermittent fasting to help them become a little bit more or help teach their body to rely on fat for fuel a little bit more. Um, I think there is a period of time where going into like more of a strict lower carb diet can be beneficial. Um, and testing that out for, for a little while and, and being strict for a period of time, but then also realizing that like, you don't have to stay there forever. Um, so I think there is definitely, you know, an advantage to implementing a ketogenic diet for, for a a good amount of time to become adapted, to really teach your body how to, how to use not only produce ketones, but use them as a fuel source. Um, and I think that is also going to be dependent on the person, how, you know, how much body fat they have, how, you know, what their activity level is like, what their stress levels are like, all of those things are going to play into it. Um, but yeah. You know, you talk about like higher fat, what are you like in the moderate protein camp? I feel like protein's been making a comeback here. <laughs> uh, I've had like, um, some guests on, um, 
the name just left me, but uh, that are a little more in the, you know, make protein a priority. And I'm sort mm. of in that same camp as well. Um, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah. So I am definitely in like the moderate to higher protein approach. I've actually always been there, even, you know, back in when I first started to get into keto. Um, and even within the study that I performed, the, the basis of the study was, Hey, get your carbs under a total of uh, 50 grams per day. Don't and, and eat ad libitum, meaning just focus on the carbs and let protein and fat kind of fall where they may. Um, I didn't, you know, I, I knew from the beginning, just the research that I did that a high, high fat keto diet, um, was really, you know, more so, so for people who are, you know, looking to treat some type of medical issue, or they need to have ketones super, super high, but for your average person, who's, you know, looking to just maybe get the benefits, the overall benefits of ketosis and, um, maybe lose some body fat, maybe, you know, the mental clarity side of things, you know, appetite control, I, I've seen just in my practice and from a lot of the research that I've uh, dove into that protein is, you know, is not, is something that can be a little bit higher and you don't need to have necessarily a super high fat, um, approach. And I think that that actually is a little bit of a, um, kind of putting you in a place that's not going to make you successful for the long term If you're going super high fat, super low carb and low protein, mm -hmm. um, cause we know protein is just, there's just so many benefits to protein that, um, that can't be overlooked. So, yeah. And, um, how do you go about eating around your workouts for yourself in particular, and perhaps your clients, this is something I'm always <laughs> for myself trying to figure out what would be the best approach for a while. Now I've been doing fasted workouts and then actually breaking my fast, not right away, but you know, at maybe in the next hour or two, I'll have something. Uh, but then I've been, playing around with having a little bit something and then maybe an hour or two later doing my workout, seeing how I feel and like how my performance is. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I think that it really just all comes down to the the primary goal and the, in the individual. Again, I know I keep saying it comes down mm -hmm. to individual, but I've worked with a lot of people and I found that some things like that work for some people are just, for example, some people feel amazing fasted training, right? And that they eat something or they, they try to, you know, go the other route and they just don't feel great. Um, and then I have other people who think that they feel great fast <laughs> training fasted, and then they start to incorporate, um, maybe a little bit of protein and even carbs before their workout. And they're like, oh, wow, I feel a lot better. Mm. Um, and they can push harder during their workout. Right. Um, so that is something that it really just comes down to testing and assessing, but I find, um, kind of in general, if we want to put like a general kind of numbers behind things. And for what I try to do is, um, for me, when I'm working out, I work out kind of midday. Um, so like 11 o'clock. Yeah. So I try to, um, especially with my goals right now, which are to continue to build muscle and optimize my body composition. I find going into my training with some fuel is definitely helps me to, uh, push myself a little bit more. Um, and when we're talking about like specific macronutrient distribution throughout the day, um, I try to get about 50% of my carbs around my workout. So, um, if we're looking at kind of the whole day and this will depend on the person, obviously like how many, you know, carbs they're consuming or not. So, but in general, a good kind of rule of thumb is like, all right, let's place 50% of your carbohydrate intake around your workout. Um, and that is going to help for pre-workout to facilitate a little bit more energy, give you a little bit more energy for the workout. Um, and then post-workout facilitate that recovery side of things. Um, if you are going into your training fasted, I think that it is, um, more important to think about what you're consuming afterwards in terms of protein specifically. Um, if you are consuming carbs, you know, if you are more in the, like, not in like a super low carb diet, then you're kind of creating, um, you're, you're getting carbs in after that to help with that, uh, recovery. So get you out of that sympathetic state when you're in training. Cause we know training is a stress on the body, right? It's a good stress, but sure. you want to get into that recovery state afterwards as kind of as fast as possible. So consuming, um, one protein, obviously to kind of start that muscle protein synthesis response and, and get that going, um, get some carbs in if, if that's what works for you, um, to help kind of mitigate that cortisol response and bring you more into that, uh, rest and digest mode. Um, and then I try to kind of space my, the majority of my fat intake a little bit further away from my workout. And that just, if you think about it practically it just kind of makes sense. Like, you know, not zero fat around my workouts, but if more of my carbs are going to be around my workouts, then more of my fat's going to be kind of on the, uh, the, 
the other end of it. Um, but you, you don't want to have zero fat, uh, around your workout, especially pre-workout. Cause that might actually, um, have a little bit of issue. Some people think, oh, I shouldn't have any fat before my workout because it's going to, you know, you know, slow me down or anything like that. Um, there are some, you know, flat fat does slow digestion, but if you have zero fat, you could have an adverse response in terms of blood sugar spikes and, and dips during your workout, which we obviously don't want that. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I would, I would structure nutrition, but that's a very generalized approach. Obviously. What, what's your, uh, what's your favorite pre-workout? Well, it sounds like you have a little bit of a meal before the workout. Yeah. What's your, what, what do you, what do you like to have? Yeah. So my like pre-workout, I would, I would say pre-workout breakfast. Um, I like to call it. Um, so I am a huge fan of squash. I really love like all winter squash. Um, mm. and I live in California. So have you ever heard of kabocha squash before? I have not. So it's, it's, uh, known as the Japanese pumpkin. It's basically, uh, like a very, it's like a green pumpkin looking thing. And this is so weird because I always talk about it because it's literally my favorite food and I eat it every day. Um, it's kind of a mix between a sweet potato and like a butternut squash uh, and pumpkin. It's kind of all those kind of mixed into one. Hmm. Um, so that I love, it's very nutrient dense. It keeps me full for a long time. So I'll have, uh, some kabocha squash with uh, a mixture of Greek yogurt and cottage cheese, which also might sound a little bit weird, but it's really good. Um, (laughs) so I'll do that. And then I'll add like a little bit of whey protein protein in there for some flavor. Um, and then I'll also have some berries and a little bit of, um, nuts or nut butter on top. So I'm getting a good amount of protein, um, some carbs, um, from the kabocha squash, um, some carbs from the fruit, uh, which I like to have a combination of, uh, fruit and a little bit starchier carbs. So that is going to help with just facilitating the different, uh, transport systems within your body. So we know that, um, the carbs that come from fruit is obviously, obviously mostly fructose versus glucose. And, um, they all kind of end up in the same place, but you can think about it as, um, kind of getting to your getting digested and absorbed a little bit faster than if you were just going to have, you know, pure glucose. Um, so I try to kind of combine that, um, and then that I would say I have that like two to two and a half hours before my workout. And then if I feel like I am, if it's a longer workout, um, and I feel like I'm kind of getting like right before my workout, um, if I feel like I need a little bit of a snack, I'll have like a piece of fruit. Um, and I'll also have maybe a little bit more, uh, yogurt with a little whey protein just to kind of, uh, take me through the rest of the workout. Um, so yeah, kind of varies with that. Kabosha squash. You know, I wrote that down. I don't know if we have that in Chicago though. <laughs> well, you actually, so this time of year in the fall, when the winter squash starts to kind of come out, um, there, they typically have it all, all around. Oh. I know in New York, when I go back for the holidays, they have it, but they don't have it any other time of year. Mm. Um, I kind of lucked out. And I think one of the reasons why I'm staying in California is because they have Kabocha squash year round. Sounds, oh my God. sounds crazy, but it's Maybe really they could good. Be a, they could be your next sponsor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll look into that. And, uh, and so do you normally have like, do you, like, I know you were into fasting. Do you have some mm-hmm. days where you fast longer, maybe off days? How do you sort of mm-hmm. um, prioritize your fasting? Yeah, absolutely. So I do implement some fasting and, and this is really just to kind of, you know, go back to that whole metabolic flexibility side of things, like being able mm-hmm. to kind of use, the full spectrum of your metabolism is what I like to call it. And this comes back to, you know, being able to vary your macronutrients throughout, you know, the day, throughout the week, throughout the year, um, implementing some fasting to kind of help with that as well, to kind of continue to, to facilitate your body being used to using fat for fuel and being able to tap into that, um, to that reserve. So with fasting, I do, um, I do try to take just like a day by day basis of how I'm feeling. Um, sometimes I will like plan out, like I'll, I'll generally plan out, uh, my week and, and how my training days are and my off days are. So on my off days, I typically just naturally implement a little bit more fasting, um, you know, go to bed fast overnight and then, you know, just wake up in the morning, get work done. Um, if I'm not going to train at like 11, I might just, you know, continue fasting until I get hungry, um, and just have lunch. 
Um, if it's a training day, I'll typically try to get a meal in or at least a snack in before, like I mentioned. Um, and I also implement, um, if I'm in, it also depends like kind of where I'm at in my goals. So if I'm in, you know, for example, I'm just finishing up a, a fat loss phase of, for myself. I went through an eight month building phase where I gained about 15 pounds. Um, and that was the first time that I went through like an intentional building phase or bulking phase, whatever you want to call it, um, gained about 15 pounds. Um, it was kind of a, obviously a combination of fat and muscle. Um, mm -hmm. and so I just kind of, I'm actually on my last week of my fat loss phase where I'm back down to just above where I started. Um, and within a fat loss phase, I do implement PSMF days. Um, cause I find that is a very good adherence tool for myself and for a lot of clients What's that I work that? with. Yeah. So PSMF stands for protein sparing modified fasts. Mm. Um, and if you research it, like if you Google PSMF, um, you have to just be a little bit careful because the traditional way that a PSMF diet works is that you actually go on, like you do a PSMF for, you know, an extended period of time for like a few weeks. Whereas I implement it as like a one day or like at the extremes, a two day per week type of thing or every other week. And so what it is, is basically, um, exactly what it says, protein sparing right. modified fast. So, um, I typically describe it as consuming about your body weight in protein, maybe a little bit higher. Um, and then filling the rest of your calories in with carbs and fats until you hit about, uh, for females, it's typically about a thousand calories. Keep it really simple. Um, for males, maybe about 1200 calories. Um, and this is just to basically help you to um, if we're looking at, um, a fat loss phase, for example, if we're looking at having a calorie budget for the week, um, I like to look at it on a weekly basis versus a daily basis. Um, so if you are someone who knows that you like to go out on the weekends and enjoy, um, you know, a little bit more food and, and during the week, you're kind of in your routine and you're not really food focused, um, implementing, a, a day where you have calories on the lower end, but you're keeping protein still pretty high to facilitate, you know, obviously holding on to as much lean body mass as possible, muscle mass, all of that. Uh, helps keep you satiated. Um, that will allow you to have a little bit more flexibility for other days when you can bring your calories up a little bit higher. Um, so I really like to use it as, you know, a tool to continue to enhance that metabolic flexibility, right? So if we have someone who is not even low carb, they're just, you know, maybe they're higher carb, but they can implement a PSMF day. That's going to help their body get back into that lower carb state, um, and potentially into ketosis again, if that's their goal. Um, and then, from a practical standpoint, if we're just looking at the overall week, a lot of people, like I said, they just like a lot of people are just, you know, in their uh, routine during the week and they don't really think about food that much. Not, not saying they don't think about food, but they have a, a regimen, right. And they're busy and all that. And then it comes to the weekend. Maybe you want to go out and enjoy, uh, some dinner out or whatever it may be. Um, and so it just gives you a little bit more flexibility. And especially if we're looking at kind of that weekly caloric budget in a fat loss phase, that I think that's what matters the most. Um, so yeah, I found a lot of success with that with myself and a lot of my clients. So protein sparing modified fast, just to recap, you are cutting your protein in, or you're going up in protein. So typically keeping protein, um, around the same for what it is. So I like to um, say that like for the majority of my clients and for myself, I like to keep protein around body weight, depending on, okay. you, know, how, you know, how much they weigh. So 0 0.8 to 1.2 grams per pound of body weight is a good range to typically be in for most people. So you're keeping um, protein the same. You're just, so what would, okay, go ahead. Yeah. No. So you're keeping protein, um, pretty high. Like, so it would be around body weight. Right. Right. Um, but, it, and it will depend on the person. If someone has, if someone's like 300 pounds and it would, we would bring it's that on down their a little lean bit. Mass. Yeah. They're on. The yeah. We go mass. by their lean mass or okay. just point eight. Yeah. Um, and then you're basically just keeping protein at that amount, um, okay. and filling, and then just keeping your carbs and fats, um, wherever, you know, they fall to get you to that kind of thousand calories. Um, and oh, this I is, got you. yeah. Okay. And so this is kind of, okay. sorry. No, I was just gonna say, so you're actually, it, you're, you're not, you're trying not to consume as much. Yeah. It's basically a lower calorie day. It's okay. a form of calorie cycling. I like to call got it. Got it. Got it. Mm-hmm. But like I was mentioning before, if you just Google PSMF, you might find that because there is like a PSMF quote unquote diet. And that is just a very low calorie diet for mm. like an extended, like two or three weeks. Um, I don't like to, to use that because that's just 
for me, it's just unsustainable for most people. Um, unless you're like severely overweight and, and you need to do that for a health reason, but it's right. just a, a tool in the toolbox is what I, um, how do, how I refer to it. Yeah. Okay. Now, now I got <laughs> it. And, um, I just had something I was going to say, but every time you say PSMF, it sounds like PM, like you're oh, yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> proteins, very modified fast. It's kind of a long, long term, but right. it's just a fasting protocol with, um, emphasizing protein really. Gotcha. Right. So you're sort of bringing the, the calories down. Do you count? Are you a big counter of calories? Is this something that you track? Yeah. So I track macros. Um, I've been doing it for a long time. It's just kind of part of my, my lifestyle. Um, for me, it helps, um, it helps me to, to have structure. Um, and I, when I have structure, I feel like I have more control. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm very kind of like that, that's my personality. Like I need structure. And if I don't have structure, then I feel like I actually am and, and less in control of what I'm doing on a daily basis. So I like to have, I like to, you know, keep that in check. Um, but I do have, more flexibility, you know, if I'm going on vacation or, you know, I have some event or it's a holiday, like I will, I used to be very, very rigid. And this is again, going back to like the mistakes that we all make and the things that we learn from. And Mm -hmm. I found that, you know, being like very, very macro focused is can actually be, um, uh, a detriment in the long term if you don't know how to balance that out. So I think, you know, everybody's different too. Some people do very well with it. Some people don't. So it really just comes down to, to how you, um, how you do with, with that. And there's different approaches. I feel with tracking macros. Um, I I like to have tiers, um, when it comes to that, especially with the clients I'm working with and their expertise in, in that. So, um, there's just, there's not one way to do it. There's so many different ways that you can go about it depending on the individual. Yeah. I mean, as far as macros is concerned, like for, for me, like I noticed I used to have like a bigger salad throughout the day, like, like as, as that would break my fast with some type of protein, but like, I actually found that I, I was lagging after that. So I've actually tried to push a lot of my carbs towards the end of the day. I've just mm-hmm. found that's worked for me. And if I have a meal in the middle of the day, I'll have some type of like, maybe some eggs. Um, if I do add carb, maybe like an avocado or something, mm-hmm. but for the most part, like I've been actually on this run, uh, I, I'm, I've had Brad Kearns on a few times and we, um, we, we've talked about like the smash family, like the sardines, mackerel, anchovies. I've actually been on this run with herring. Oh, nice. (laughs) I don't know if, yeah. Anyway, it's not for everybody, but, um, (laughs) but I don't know, you know, the great thing about those, you know, anchovies, I just added in, I will say that I wasn't sure if I would like that, but I I do enjoy them. Um, is they're not expensive. You know, people talk Mm -hmm. about eating healthy and it has to be this, you know, obviously if you're buying wild salmon and ribeye and grass fed ribeyes every night, it could probably be fairly expensive, but, um, you know, the smash family, you know, sardines, mackerel and stuff like that. And herring, these are not that, and these are not that expensive and it's, there's a ton of nutrition from them. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of nutrients for sure. Yeah. So, um, so I've been adding that to my diet, but it is interesting how you evolve over time. And it is about just seeing how you feel. I think Mm -hmm. if you, like you said, you talk about like, I don't know, we, you hear intuitive eating a lot, but I feel like when you're metabolically flexible and not right. And you've maybe done some fasting, um, and you've mixed, mixed up your, your macros, um, you start to feel like, okay, what works best for me mm-hmm. after workouts or during the day or at night, like for me at night, I don't do as much work. Like I do all my work in the mornings and the midday. So I like to be in a fastest state. Cause I've, I'm more alert and I get more done, more, more things mm-hmm. done. So yeah, absolutely. And I think that is, there's, you know, so much leverage behind that in terms of the mental focus and clarity of, you know, being more in that lower carb, you know, stable blood sugar and being able to, to utilize that. And then, you know, at night, you know, maybe having more carbs or not, it really just, like you said, depends on the person. I think the intuitive side of eating, I think a lot of people get confused with what that actually means. Um, and I think from, from my perspective, the more metabolically flexible you are, the, actually the easier it is to kind of pay attention to those things. And, and like you said, find what works for you. And, you know, for you, for example, you, 
you enjoy the mental clarity side of things and, and not having carbs during the day. And I go, there's some days where I do that too. And then, um, if I want to have carbs later on the day, um, that is, it's a good strategy as well. And, and that's a strategy that I use with some of my clients where they want to actually backload their carbs and have more at night because it helps them to actually wind down a little bit more helps with that release of serotonin, um, helps them to sleep more throughout the night. Um, sometimes having a little bit, I found, um, one, one strategy that I implement with some of my clients, um, is implementing a little bit of fruit, uh, at night, if they are on that lower carb side of things and they, they feel better with that, um, having a little bit more carbs at night, implementing a little bit of fruit or fructose, because that's going to actually help fuel your liver throughout the night. Um, and so that can help with managing blood sugar levels throughout the night. Um, so that's a, a good strategy for some people who might be, um, might be waking up in the middle of the night, or they might feel kind of like restless um, you know, at night trying to, you know, wind down for bed. Um, so having a little bit more carbs to help, like I said, facilitate a little bit more serotonin, um, production, and then also actually fuel you throughout the night. So you're not having, um, you know, dips in blood sugar that could be causing you to wake up. Yeah, no, that's a great tip. I've, I used to eat a little bit more fruit. I don't implement fruit as much, but from time to time I'll have the berries and things like that. And, mm -hmm. and perhaps later in the day, uh, as well. And what would you say around, I know you have a lot of clients that are women and I actually mm -hmm. tend to have many clients that are men. Is there, do you implement a different strategy between uh, men and men and women? Yeah. So this is also going to come down to, there are some things that I definitely make sure I look for with women. Um, but again, it also just comes back to the individual <laughs> person because everybody has such a different lifestyle activity level, but with women in general, um, from, you know, from the years of working with clients and, and mostly women, I do work with some men. Um, I've just seen that fasting can be a little bit, uh, harder for women in the sense of the longer fasts can be a little bit more stressful. Um, we know that women have a little bit more, um, like our hormones are obviously different throughout the month versus males are, are kind of the same. Um, mm -hmm. so that can play a role in how we, um, and how we do with fasting, how we do with lower carb, um, and, and using carbs strategically with that. Um, again, in that sense, there's, there's people who kind of say like, oh, you can implement carbs around certain parts of your cycle. And I've, I've tried that before with, with my clients. And I found that, you know, there is some studies that show some things, but when we put it into practicality and we put it into the actual individual, it seems to be so variable depending on the, the female, mm. um, same for myself. And it really, for me, it definitely comes down to that overall stress load that that person is experiencing. And that will actually determine how well they do with, um, fasting protocols, how well they do with a little bit lower carb versus maybe higher carb. Um, and then in terms of just, you know, eating enough food in general is one of the things that I work with a lot of my uh, female clients with is realizing that we don't have to continuously restrict food right. 24 seven and how that can be an issue in itself, especially if we are looking to change our body composition and maybe build some more muscle. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's super important for females to, to kind of, uh, realize that if you want to look you know, the way that you see other females like, like looking toned or whatever it may be that comes from having muscle right, right underneath the body fat. Um, so kind of going down that, that kind of rabbit, that's a whole other rabbit hole, but, um, <laughs> I think that's super important for, for females, of course. Yeah. And I was actually going to bring that up a little bit because, um, yeah, I mean, I think there's this, um, misconception around women and lifting, um, like, for example, like my wife was a big runner and I've gotten her into lifting. And I mean, like, it's amazing how much, I mean, how much better she looks just <laughs> overall, like, you know, structurally, not only her joints and things like that, but just, um, you know, just from the outside looking in, I mean, you know, when you have some, especially if you're leaner, if you put on muscle and just how important that is. And, and, um, is that what you, what you work with a lot of your clients on is just like putting on muscle because, you know, a lot of women are like afraid of that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so important. And I kind of came, like I mentioned, I came from, uh, endurance side of things with triathlons and then went into the CrossFit side of things. Um, and then got into bodybuilding. And when I, when I got into bodybuilding and I actually kind of 
like I said, incorporated, started incorporating more of like a metabolic flexibility side of things, more of a balance in my, you know, overall nutrition and training is really where I started to see my body composition change Mm -hmm. in the way that I wanted it to. Um, and a lot of that came from actually following like a structured training plan and actually being intentionable about my training, um, implementing progressive overload. I actually started working with my own coach and I still have my own coach to to kind of help me through these things. I think that's super important. If you are kind of looking to take, you know, your training and your body composition to, you know, the next level, and you've been trying all these things, nothing's been working, um, asking for help is there's no, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and I continue, will we'll continue to have my own coach for as long as I, probably forever, just because there's so much value and having someone else kind of looking in and saying, Hey, you know, maybe we should try this, or maybe we can do this a little bit differently, um, and allowing you to kind of get out of your own head. Um, so yeah, I actually put together a a muscle science for women program with my friend, Ashley Van Houten. Um, Mm. I don't know if you know, she was on the podcast. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. The muscle (laughs) maven. Yeah. We put together, um, this program and it was really just, it's geared towards women to teach them the benefits of, you know, learning the, the proper way to go about, building muscle and how, you know, it comes down to not just like, obviously nutrition is a huge component of it, but also realizing like what you should be focused on in your training and how to do that in a way that is sustainable and also fun and and enjoyable and helps you to become more confident in every other aspect of your life. So. Yeah. Yeah. Ashley was on the podcast. She was great a little while back. (laughs) Awesome. Um, so what would you say some of the, you know, as far as working out, some of the tips that you give for hypertrophy. Um, I know you went from the CrossFit world into, um, you know, into a different type of training. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously CrossFit can have tons of benefits. I've used, you know, as, as what happened with you with injury, I've seen that quite a bit as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe perhaps a bit of overtraining can happen in that, in that venue. Um, what, what kind of recommendations would you make for someone starting out? Yeah. So I think CrossFit is great, um, as a kind of community, you know, you have that community, you have that competition and if people enjoy CrossFit and and they, they want to continue doing that, I think that it's definitely, you know, beneficial. I think there can be a component where there is a little bit of an overtraining component. If you are, you know, getting, uh, kind of you know, you're going to CrossFit five or six days a week. And this is where I was at. Um, it's really, you really have to be careful with that. And then if you're trying to also maybe go into a fat loss phase or, or a diet, um, you do have to really just pay attention to your like nutrition side of things. And if you're going into a deficit and you're pairing, you know, intense training on top of that, especially high intensity training, sometimes that can be a recipe for disaster. Um, and you're, you're kind of getting away from, that recovery side of things. Um, that's something I've learned the hard way over the years is recovery is a huge part of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find with a lot of the females that I work with, um, and this used to be me where I, I feel like, you know, doing more is always better. That's how I was in that kind of camp. Like, Oh, if I go to CrossFit three days a week, then I'll like, if I go four or five, like that's mm-hmm. gonna be better. Right. Um, and if I reduce my calories this much, well, if I reduce them more, I can get faster results and that's better. Well, it's, it doesn't really work like that. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what I found. Um, recovery is a huge thing to pay attention to. That would be one of the, one of the main components that I work on with my clients, um, and moving more into a hypertrophy style training, you know, CrossFit is, uh, and we don't have to necessarily go down the cross rabbit hole, but it is a performance sport versus like an aesthetic sport. Um, so if you really are looking to, um, build muscle and do it in the most efficient way possible, then CrossFit might not be your best route, um, hypertrophy training and following a progressive training program where you can, um, you know, track your training over time and continue to improve, you know, week after week after week, that is where that muscle growth is going to come from. Not Mm -hmm. saying you can't do it in other ways, but if you are looking for the most efficient route, um, that's probably going to be obviously your number one, um, making sure that you're actually eating enough food in general. Like I mentioned with female clients, if you're looking to build muscle, eating enough food, if you don't have fuel coming in to facilitate that muscle growth, you're just going to continue to work hard and, and you're not going to be seeing the results that you should be seeing. Um, so you need some fuel to come in to be able to support that recovery. Um, because I, I always say this, like when you're in the gym training, you're breaking down your muscles. Like you're literally tearing your muscle fibers apart. You're breaking them down. The muscle growth happens when you're sleeping, when you're recovering. Right. So that's something that, you know, if you can switch your mindset to like, Hey, I need to recover and I need to feel myself appropriately. If I want to see the adaptations from what I'm putting 
onto my, the, the, the stress and put them onto my body. If I'm not recovering, then I'm doing all this work really for, for nothing just to burn out. And yeah, maybe I'll see a little bit of results, but it's going to end up not being, uh, so great in the end. So yeah, going enough. Yeah. Protein intake is huge. Um, those would probably be the one, some of the tops that I would focus on. Yeah. I, I found that with myself as well. I would actually used to be in like the pescatarian camp for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was under eating protein, uh, um, cause I was fairly active and I, and then probably around the quarantine, uh, last year, I started implementing some good, good quality meats into my diet and, uh, upping that protein intake. Because if you think about if, you know, 0.8 to one, uh, one gram per, per pound of lean mass, um, it's a decent amount of protein for everybody. Um, I find with, with the males that I work with, they're definitely under eating it and, as you get older, you actually need to, it needs to be more of an, uh, like a priority. Um, is that something that you see with a lot of females that they're under eating their protein? Yeah, absolutely. I have, I, I mean, I would say like 80% of the clients that come to me, maybe even more are severely under eating protein, no matter if they're coming from a low carb or high carb uh, right. diet. Um, I, I am definitely in the camp of a higher protein approach. We know from, you know, countless research studies that have come out, that, you know, there's no detriments to high protein, um, especially like the only kind of area that we see maybe a little bit of concern is if you have like a pre-existing kidney issue, but that even with that, there's still some of that research is, you know, cause the people are like, Oh, I can't eat that much protein. Cause you know, kidneys and, and all that. But we found that, that, you know, the more research that comes out on that, it's kind of like, Oh, that's not really that true. Um, so there's just so many benefits to protein that I think keeping it on the higher end. And I even recommend, like I said, um, you know, with some clients, we go up to even like 1.2 grams per pound, um, of body weight, depending Mm -hmm. on how lean they are. I find that the leaner you are, um, the more protein can be beneficial, especially depending on what, uh, phase you're in. So if you're looking to, um, actually lose body fat, right. Having more protein to preserve that lean muscle mass to, um, just make sure that you're feeling satiated enough, you know, on the calories that you're consuming. Um, we know that protein has the highest thermic effect of food. So it takes more energy to digest and absorb protein than it does carbs and fats. So protein has about, um, 20 to 30%. It has a TF or a thermic effect of 20 to 30% versus carbs are about five to 10% and fats are about three to 5%. So if you think about that, practically the more like the protein that you're consuming, it, it takes 20 to 30% more energy to actually digest that protein than it does, uh, for carbs and fats. Um, so that's just another kind of advantage. And if you look at that on a, um, you know, a daily basis, it might not seem like that much, but then if you kind of compound that over weeks and months, it Mm. actually does add up. Um, so just a few, a few of the the reasons why I'm I'm a huge advocate of protein. There's so many more, but those would be the top ones. What are some of your favorite sources? So I'm a huge proponent of animal protein. Um, I think that, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with vegetarian or veganism, but I think that it it actually, it's a lot harder to get quality, uh, protein in that sense. And not just from the sense that, you know, with the foods that you're consuming, um, if they are plant-based protein, you're going to have a lot of carbs that come with that. And and sometimes some other fat too. Um, and then also just the bio bioavailability of that protein is going to be a little bit harder to digest, um, depending on the source. Um, so I'm a huge fan of animal protein. So, uh, steaks, uh, chicken, eggs, uh, Greek yogurt, cottage cheese, basically anything that's, uh, comes from an animal I'm down for, uh, I like you, the leaner protein. Um, do you get into, so. uh, organ meats? I do a little bit. I mean, I am still working on that. Ashley is still, um, pushing me. Oh down yeah. That route. Oh my God. Uh, she came out with a cookbook with it. Yeah. I remember now. Yeah. She is the organ meat queen. Um, I'm still like, uh, I, I play around with them a little bit. I know I need to, to have more. They're so nutrient dense. Um, sure. but I'm kind of, that's something that's been lacking in my diet. I, I would <laughs> say, uh, I play around with it, but I have a little bit of a sensitive palate. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I hear you. So. Yeah. If, if it's cooked properly, it's all good. I actually just ordered some liver crisps. So it's, mm. they're like chips, but they're liver. So are those the, those the carnivore crisps? Yeah. I haven't tried those I think... yet. I need to try them. Okay. Yeah. They're solid. They're good. Cool. Yeah. These have a little bit of onion in them too. So it sort of gets the flavoring better. So, awesome. 
Yeah. Cool. There's many ways now you can get this stuff into your diet, right? <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, don't have to be sure. like a chef. It's like there's there's something for someone out there. Um, yeah. Well, this was good. I, I A question that I ask a lot of uh, my guests who come in, what, what would be one tip that you would give your clients um, if, you know, let's say they were in their 40s, 50s, 60s and beyond, and they wanted to get their body back to what it was maybe 10, 15 years ago. What, 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 what one tip would you give to them? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so actually the first thing that comes to mind is, is my mom. So she's in her, almost in her sixties and she actually just started weight training and resistance training for really the first time in her life about two years ago. Mm. And she's 50, no, she's 60. She's six. She's in her 60. I think she's yeah. Like 61. I can't remember exactly. She's 60 or 61. One of those. Um, but yeah, she like has seen so much progress in the last two years in her body composition than she's seen in her whole life, mm. just from finally listening to me and getting a trainer and learning the proper way to lift. Um, cause she used to go to the gym and do spin classes and she, you know, was kind of, you know, how a lot of females are, which there's nothing wrong with this, especially in the older, older realm, not older, not saying she's old, but oh my God. Uh, when you get up to your 50s, Wait till she listens to this. I know, right. She's gonna, <laughs> yeah. I, you know what I mean? But if you are kind of in that, um, that <laughs> stage in your life, you know, as we kind of evolved, right. We know that, you know, weight training has just become kind of the norm for women over only over the last, maybe even not, it's not even the norm yet, but even over the last like 20 years, I would say that's probably where, um, it's kind of picked up. So if you're, you know, at that point where you, you know, didn't grow up, you know, weight training, or kind of was like looked down on for women to weight train or anything like that. Right. Um, so she, so kind of getting back to your question. <laughs> she has seen this, the, the most improvement in her body composition from just like a year or two of, of training. And, right. and she actually hired a trainer and now she knows, you know, what she's doing and she knows how to go into the gym and she's not like intimidated. And she's seen such a change in her body composition and not just that, but in her mood, her confidence, mm -hmm. right. Just overall health, right. As you get older, like the more muscle you have, the longer you're going to live. Like muscle is, that is like the foundation of youth. A lot of people call it because you need to have strong muscles, to have strong bones, to be able to, you know, live, to as long as you want to live, right? Yeah, quality so, of life too, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's one of the biggest things. Um, and then like we talked about protein, making sure that you're staying on top of your protein. You mentioned this earlier, like the, the older you get, the the more protein you actually need because your body starts to um, not use it as efficiently as it did when it was right. you know, younger. So having more protein as you age is really important. So those would be the, I know you asked for one, but those would be two that I, Oh would. my God, <laughs> <laughs> they go hand in hand, right? <laughs> yeah, no, they do. That's great. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully your mom doesn't get upset with you. I know, right? to this, but you know, I'm sure she'll get over it. <laughs> yeah. I, I talk about her a lot in my podcast and she always like texts me after she listens to it. And she's like, you said that. And she's like, I'm like, yeah, she's like, you called me right. old. You called me. I know. Old. <laughs> she's like, you talked about my cellulite. I'm like, yeah, we all have cellulite relax. <laughs> right. 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 Well, Rachel, this was good. I felt like we, I feel like we could talk another hour, but either yeah. way, um, I appreciate you coming on and, um, I know that there's a ton of value that was, that was given. So I, I'm sure my audience would, are, would enjoy this a ton. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I had a blast. Awesome. Hey, get lean, eat clean nation. Are you a man between the ages of 40 and 60 years old, looking to lose inches around your waist, have significantly more energy throughout the day and gain muscle all while minimizing the risk of injuries? Well, I'm looking for three to five people to work one-on-one -on -one with in my fat burner blueprint signature program, which I've developed by utilizing my 15 years experience in the health and fitness space. This program's designed specifically for those committed to making serious progress towards our health goals over the next six months. We will focus on sleep, stress, nutrition, meal timing, and building lean muscle. If this sounds like a fit for you, email me at brian at briangrin.com with the subject line blueprint. That's brian at briangrin.com with the subject line blueprint. Thanks for listening to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine and I appreciate that. Check out the show notes at briangrin.com 
for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.